0: Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord." your God, forever. The grass withers, the flowers fade and fall, but the words, these words of our Lord God, endure forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, and gracious Lord and King, Jesus Christ. Father, we uh, come to you here this morning And pray that as we direct our attention to these words in Joshua, your words that you have given to us, that we might see and know your goodness, your sovereignty, your covenant faithfulness, that we might be as those people of old and trust wholly and completely in the word that you have given to us this day. That we might live boldly in the presence of this world before you, our holy God. Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I was telling Matt this morning. Just an aside here, I'm going to be gone next week. Don and I are not going to be here, and Matt is going to do this. And I said, what you need to remember is have a contingency plan. (laughs) My contingency plan this morning was Matt. I don't know what his is going to be next week, but... um, As we consider these words that are here before us, when God's people left Egypt, at the end of 400 years of slavery, we're told in Numbers uh, chapter 26 that uh, the sons of Israel, and usually the censuses were taken by male heads of families, numbered 600,000 plus people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. God opened the Red Sea to provide a way for God's people to escape the hands of Pharaoh and his army. It was only three days later as they had left and passed through the Red Sea and seen that monumental uh, miracle that God had performed, only three days later in the wilderness, uh, the people began to grumble and complain, as often people will do today. For these people, God's people had no potable drinking water. God was good to them. He provided for them water. Water turning bitter water into something good and sweet. On, God's people moved. And a few days later, they came to another wilderness area. These same people began to grumble and complain once again. This time, against their leaders, Moses and Aaron, because now they had no food. They had water, but no bread, and no meat. So, after hearing the grumblings of the sons of Israel, God remained good to them, and He provides sustenance for them the manna and the quail. To such abundance that we find that the people even grumbled about the quantity, uh, all they had was quail to eat. Can you imagine? Several times after leaving Egypt and before reaching the border of Canaan, the promised land, the people continued their grumbling and complaining against Moses and Aaron. And each time Moses interceded for these hard hearted, stiff necked people. And each time God relented from destroying them and showing them his goodness. God's people now arrive on the border of the promised land. Moses appoints and sends 12 people representative of uh, the 12 tribes to go in and scout out that land and to see what that land is like. And at the end of 40 days, in Numbers 13.25, which is up here before you, the men return and give a report. We went into the land, they said, that land that you sent us in. And it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. It took several men to bring back the grape vines and the the fruit that uh, was on those uh, grape plants, those grapes, to bring them back in. There was evidence of the fruit of the land. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. Cities are fortified and very large, and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The people rebel, saying, We can't take this land. It's a land that devours, the scripture says, its inhabitants, and the people there are giants. God remained good to these people. He provided that intercessor Moses once again to step in between these grumbling people and the, the triune God Himself for these people did not believe God's Word spoken through Moses that the land was already theirs. They have been told, go in and take it. Go in and scout it out because it is ours. They rebelled and they refused to enter the promised land. There are blessings certainly for obedience to God's Word, but there are also consequences for disobedience. According to the number of days which the spies spied out the land, forty days for every day, you shall bear your guilt a year. For every day, forty years, and you will know my opposition, says God to His people. I, the Lord, have spoken, surely this I will do to all this evil generation who are gathered together here against me. In this wilderness, they shall be destroyed and they will surely die. As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land and who returned and made it, made all the congregation grumble against them by bringing out a bad report. Even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague. Seems to to, uh, mean that they died immediately. By a plague that had gone through God's people, they died before the Lord. So for 40 years... These people were destined to wander around in circles in the wilderness until that entire generation of people perished. Now, if you take that 600,000 plus number and just that number over 40 years, that's about 40, 41 people dying per day. More than everyone here this morning. Imagine our congregation dying at once. Don't do that. (laughs) But that is what God had destined these people for. Because of their unfaithfulness, because of their disobedience and their disbelief, they were not to enter into that promised land. That entire generation was going to die. Now, when we get to Joshua 4, Moses has died. Joshua has assumed the leadership position of God's people, and he takes them into the promised land where they will be faced with many things that they never expected and weren't prepared for. But God will provide a way, even through... The walls of Jericho coming tumbling down. God's people are faced with immediately before them another obstacle. The Jordan River is now at flood stage, according to historians. The priests are instructed to go with the ark and step into that raging river and the waters will part. The people don't cross over like they did over the Red Sea with Moses lifting his staff and the waters parting. The priests have to first go and by faith step into that water and it parts. According to the Scriptures, it's held back some 20 miles upstream in a place called Adam. Adam. A dam—that is actually the the place where the water was dammed up—and the people crossed opposite Jericho on dry ground. But the priest stood in the middle of the Jordan on that dry riverbed, as the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant. Of the Lord stood firm on that dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel now crossed on through. Now, remember that six hundred thousand number. That's just the men. If you consider, as scholars once again try to extrapolate, how many people are crossing this river at this particular time, there are women, there are children. There are priests, some of which are stuck right there in the middle of the river at the moment. And there is livestock that has to cross over. And if you take the 600,000 and even double it, that's over a million people. Crossing over one side of the Jordan River to the other. That had to have taken not just an hour... But almost an entire day to get everyone across, and the waters were dammed up. When all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord had spoken to Joshua Take for yourselves 12 men from the people one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourself twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are, standing firm, and carry them over to the place where I am going to tell you to lodge for the night. Joshua called the twelve men together that he had appointed, from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And can you imagine them going out into that river where the priests are now standing and wondering how long is this riverbed going to be dry? Waiting for it at any moment to go back to flood stage. Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. And let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later, who do these stone, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be a memorial to the sons of Israel. So, do you get the picture? There are a set of stones on the side of the river that they're going into, into the promised land. There is now a set of stones set up in the middle of the riverbed where the priests were. And as the priests move out of the riverbed, as they put their feet on dry ground, the waters begin to flow back down into the Jordan River, covering those stones, except maybe for some just sticking right out of the top. Imagine standing in Vicksburg on the river walk, and you look out in the, um, in the middle of the Mississippi River. And this would take a, a monumental set of stones because that river is pretty deep at that point. And what you see are stones in the middle of that river with the water splashing all around the sides of it. And you ask, and the people ask with you, what are those stones in the middle of that river? Well, God's people here as they pass by this time and time again through the history of those people have the opportunity to ask and to answer. Here we saw God's goodness poured out to us and upon us. Here is the goodness of God that He has given to us revealing to us His sovereign power His covenant faithfulness and His might as He carries us into a land that He has promised to us. See, God gives His people a way to remember His goodness, helping them to remember where they have been, what they had accomplished, by His might and His power and His goodness that was poured out upon them. Because one of the greatest enemies of our faith, even today, is forgetfulness. Forgetting where we have been. Forgetting what God has done. Forgetting how He has provided the way. It happens in our marriages. happens in our friendships. It happens in our churches. And if we had an opportunity to stand and recollect all of the, the moments of goodness that God has poured out upon this congregation, we would be here for who knows how long. many hours, many days. God's goodness has been poured out abundantly and exceedingly upon this group of people over the past 68 years. And you know, sometimes we forget that. We forget how good God has been to us as a church even in the past seven years past 10 past 68 we forget how good God has been just in our own lives so these stones Joshua says are a memorial to the sons of Israel forever not a memorial to anyone not a memorial to anybody not a memorial to any group of people but a memorial pointing to the goodness of God. Such is this facility that we're in. People say, my church. And I, I know what you mean. And people know what you mean. But you know whose church this is? This is God's church. Many different people built this facility by God's goodness. Pour it out upon each and every one. God is good. But you know, God is sovereign too in his goodness to us. Then Joshua. Set up twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. And they are there to this day. Memorial stones as a testimony to the power of God. The power and the might of God. The absolute sovereignty of God. What is sovereignty? I mean, when you stop and think about that theological term, I think everyone in here would probably agree with me as we talk about sovereignty and about God's kingly rule through Jesus Christ over his people as his subjects. He is sovereign. Sometimes as people start talking, you begin to to wonder, do we some really understand absolute sovereignty? It doesn't mean that we're puppets in which God is the puppet master and He's moving our strings where we go and what we say. He uses us in mighty and powerful ways as He used people throughout the ages to affect His purpose and His will by His sovereign might. A man by the name of J.C. Ryle said of all the doctrines of the Bible, none is so offensive to human nature as the doctrine of God's sovereignty. The biblical teaching about the sovereignty of God is that He spoke and all things came to existence by the power of His Word and He pronounced them very good. He holds all things in the palms of His hands. Colossians seven says, Jesus is before all things and in Him all things hold together. Imagine if He let go. What would happen to each and every one of us? The Scriptures reveal that God is indeed sovereign over all things. There's not one square inch of this world in which Jesus doesn't say, mine, it is mine, mine. Scriptures reveal that He has foreordained all things that come to pass and that He is neither the author nor the approver of sin. And yet, He uses us to effect His will. He reveals that He is sovereign over all and that we are responsible for our actions. And I admit there's a tension there, isn't it? In which God does decree all things that come to pass and He holds us responsible. Even to the very point of the place where we see the cross of Christ. This man, Luke says in Acts 2.23, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed, as He speaks to these people, to a cross by the hands of godless men and put Him to death. For truly in this city there were gathered together against Your holy servant Jesus, whom You anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. There is that tension in God's decree and his, his using us to fulfill his purposes in his kingdom. You see, one of the greatest enemies of our faith, time. And forgetfulness. So we need to step back and remember those times of God's goodness. Remember those times of God's sovereignty as the scriptures jog our memories. Remember those times of God's covenant faithfulness. I graduated from RTS in. Uh, 1992, you can fact check that for me if you will. Um, 1992, started in 89, finished in 92. Um, So in 2020, it will have been 30 years. Over those years that it has been thus far, I have kept in my file drawer... A file with notes of encouragement that people have given to me from the very first church to now and today. Because there are times when I go through ministry, ministering even to you, that I forget God's goodness, His sovereignty, His covenant faithfulness. So I go to my drawer and pull out one of those stones of remembrance. A card. A note. A message. A letter. To remind me that God has been good over the years. That He is sovereign over all things. And that He does keep His faithfulness and those promises to us through Jesus Christ. He does today, he did with those people during that time of Joshua as they came up from the Jordan. Notice in verse 19 it says, on the tenth of the first month they camped at a place called Gilgal on the eastern edge of of Jericho. And honestly, we probably don't pay much attention to uh, the words like that. Those uh, geographic locations like that. We just pass over it and we're reading Joshua for this nice uh, historical account of the movement of God's people into the promised land. But this is important. The first month, the tenth day, they camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. That is almost 40 years to the day that Israel was commanded by God through Moses to celebrate the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. The Passover, that feast reminding them as they had passed through the Red Sea of God's faithfulness, His goodness, His promises as He freed them from 400 years of bondage and slavery. Now, at Gilgal, that stone of reproach, which is actually actually what that that word means, that name means, Gilgal, to roll away the reproach of Israel if you look at Joshua chapter five verse nine, you'll see those very words. The Lord said to Joshua, "Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, and so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day." That reproach—I mean, that's a big word. What what is it? It's an expression of disappointment, or scorn, or disapproval. Now, the disapproval of these people being. Disobedient and unfaithful to God and His promises has been rolled away as they have now come to this place called Gilgal and established on the edge of the promised land. God's people. Celebration commemorating the beginning of deliverance and redemption out of slavery and bondage of Egypt and their entrance into this land flowing with milk and honey. What had started at the Red Sea was now complete. It had come full circle. God had been faithful to His promise, had provided for these people free access into a land flowing with milk and honey, but it took them 40 years to get back to where they first started. Just as he had promised, just as he had said. God is faithful. The same God who was faithful to his promises to these people that we read about in Joshua is that same God that we worship and serve here today. He hasn't changed, he keeps his promises, he's still good. He's still sovereign. He keeps the promises that He's made to His people in Christ. So if you're not in Christ, trusting in Him by faith alone, by God's grace alone, you cannot experience those promises. Sometimes, you know, people claim individual promises for themselves that God has made to me through the scriptures, but in reality, he's made those promises, each and every one of those promises to his people in Christ. In him we are safe and secure from all alarm. God is faithful, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 9, through whom you were called into fellowship with. His Son, Jesus Christ. But as God is what? Faithful. Our word to you, Paul says, is not yes and no, for the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes. There's no maybe in Him. It is yes in Him. We experience all kinds of temptations today, don't we? No temptation, Paul says, has overtaken you, but such is common to man and God is what? Faithful, good, and sovereign who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation... Will provide the way of escape, also, so that you will be an you will be able to endure it, to pass through it. It doesn't say He's going to take it away from you necessarily. I mean, Paul prayed three times for that thorn in his flesh, that emissary of that Satan, that messenger of Satan, to be taken from you, and yet from him, and yet God did not do it, did He? God did not take that from him so that Paul might experience the abundant grace of God and know that even in his weakness, he is strong in Christ. we might ask here, why did God do these things? Why did God record these things for us? The answer there is this. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. So that you may fear the Lord your God just for a couple days. Forever. Forever. See, God provides Peter says in 1 Peter 2 verses 4 and 5 that we are to come to Him as living stones. You also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone. As living stones, our lives, our church, our involvement here, not just this building, this physical place, but everything within this building. You are bricks. You are living stones that are God is, is putting into place in the history and the, the recollection of generations to come as living memorials of God's goodness, as a legacy of God's grace, as a promise of His sovereign power and His covenant faithfulness. So as living stones, our lives will speak as long as these stones and Joshua have spoken. I guess the question we have to ask as we leave leave here this morning, is what are those stones going to speak about our lives hidden in Christ as living proof of a loving God who is good, who is faithful, who is sovereign? Testimony to a watching world. You know, it's sad that we are not able to gather together here after this worship service to break bread over the tables in Reynolds Hall to walk through the corridors of this facility. But even as we think about doing that next year, maybe even for Thanksgiving, let's remember how faithful God has been to us. How good He has been to all of us as He wraps us the arms of His sovereign love in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we honestly have difficulty finding words to express to you what you mean to us. Our God of love, life, living. Our God of goodness, grace, peace, and rest. We're thankful, Lord, that you do reach into this mass of humanity around us And call people to Yourself. May each one of those people, Lord, be living testimonies, living monuments, stones of remembrance, calling attention, not to individual people or particular buildings or things in those buildings, but calling out how good you have been, how faithful you remain, and how sovereign you are in keeping your promises from generation to generation. Father, we pray and are thankful that you are our God and that we are your people, faithful and true. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Of commitment and trust is great is thy faithfulness. If you're at home and you're trimming the hymnals on page 32, you would please stand with me as we sing praise to our Lord.